Praise the Lord. Dear God, we thank you again for another opportunity and a privilege to be in your house, to hear your word. I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts this morning and touch us, O God. Through your spirit, allow your virtue to flow into our bodies and heal us, body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to preach to you on a subject that might sound a little odd to you. God desires to heal an abused church. When you first hear that, you say, what is the pastor talking about? God desires to heal an abused church. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 reads, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser hmm, of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. An accuser. One who challenges, one who confronts, a criticizer, an opponent, and fault finder, a prosecutor, one who indicts, someone who has a complaint against us. Actually, you could say in layman's terms, a whistleblower, a tattletale, trying to tattle on you accuse you. Here's what I believe this morning as I preach. God is dealing with an abused church that he desires to heal. The church has been accused, assaulted, assailed, and abused, and many of God's people just continue to take a beating and not fight back. Many of God's people have clothed themselves in guilt and shame and walk in that darkness daily and never allow the light of God to penetrate their spirit and illuminate their mind. They accept the beating. Listen carefully. They accept the beating thinking they deserve such because they themselves see their life as a failure. They stay stuck in the miry clay and their feet never tread on ground that God has prepared for them that is smooth and paved with his grace and mercy. There's a sermon right there in what I just read to you. The book of Proverbs declares these words in Proverbs 2.15 whose ways are crooked and they are throw it in their paths. Proverbs 2.15 in the message version says this, traveling paths that go nowhere, wandering in a maze of detours and dead ends. That's a lot of people who sit in church because they see their life as a failure. They're so ridden with guilt and shame and so eaten up like a cancer 
that it's hard for them to move forward. In Luke chapter 3, verse 5, it says this. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. We don't have to stay in a rut. The Bible says in Luke 3, 5 in the message version, every ditch will be filled in. Every bump smoothed out. The detours straightened out. And all the ruts paved over. People stay in a rut because they choose to stay in that rut. People stay in that place in their mind and in their heart. And don't move out from that room and abide there. Last Thursday, the Lord provided a powerful prayer time here. And the Lord spoke to me in some prophetic words. And these are the words the Lord spoke. I desire to give my people a warring spirit. Exodus 15.3 The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. I am a God of battle and a God who always is victorious. I desire to clothe my people, but they are fleeting and evasive from my presence. They sit in their houses and observe the enemy traffic through their dwelling. John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have life more abundantly. They watch as they steal, as he steals their health, their finances, their relationships, and most of all, their passion for me. Like Adam, so many of my people hide behind a fig leaf, making excuses and justification for sin. I desire a bride who is in preparation and virtuous. I'm coming for those without spot or wrinkle. I'm coming for those who desire my presence and fellowship. Call upon my name while you can, for the hour of my return you know not. It's time to come unto me and set your soul on things above and not of the earth. Colossians 3.1 If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Too many accept status quo. Too many accept their condition. Too many stay put spiritually and make no progress to go forward but make excuses for their behavior. I believe, basically, in this sermon, there's two types of abuse that we have to look at. One abuse is this. I'm a Christian, and I love God, and my sins have been forgiven. Where the accuser comes into our lives is trying to bring up our past to accuse us defame us, condemn us with guilt and shame. That's one type of abuse. That's the kind of abuse where people say, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself, which really isn't biblical. 
That's one type of abuse. They're walking in the Lord. They love God. They love Jesus. But they're plagued by their past. They can't get out. They're in a room. The door is locked. And they stay put. The other type of abuse is this. That's self-inflicting. When we sin and disobey God, the enemy accuses us. And as a result, we do feel guilty and full of shame. It's simple. There is condemnation. Because what we do is we allow the enemy legally to attack us. We allow the enemy legally to come into our spirit and come into our life and accuse us and say, you're a hypocrite. You say you're this, but you live this. Now people would say, no, pastor, I I don't need that. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. Because you can't be a good pastor and not preach this type of message concerning sin because God is trying to say, I want to heal you. If you want to stay there, that's your business. I'm only providing information that God has given me. I wasn't even going to preach this sermon because I had another sermon that I worked on all week to preach. But yesterday morning when I woke up, God said, I'm changing the venue. I said, okay. I got up early in the morning and I said, that's kind of an odd title that God desires to heal an abused church. I said, okay, where, where are we going? The question this morning is, where, where are you going? The question is, what do you really want out of life? What kind of security do we want? Do we feel secure if our 401k is full? If our deferred comp is up to date? Do we, do we feel secure because we have a job? We make money, we live in a nice house and drive a nice car and wear nice clothes. Is that our security? Is that what we're striving for only? And I'm not saying those things aren't good things. But when those things replace our passion for God, our passion for God, you have to ask yourself this morning, where is my level of passion for God? I can't answer that. I can't give you my passion and you can't give me yours. All we can do is show our passion that perhaps others might imitate that passion and say, hey, I want the fire of God also. I want to dig in. I want to press into the presence of the holy God. You know, folks, we are in a war. God says, I am a God of war. It says in Exodus 15 and 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He's a man of war. And what does the word war mean? It means to fight. It means to do battle. It means to make war, to overcome and devour and prevail against the enemy that accuses us. To get it right with God. Stop blaming the whole world. Stop blaming. Because we act just like Adam and Eve in the garden. It's this woman you gave me. It was the serpent. No. You had a choice. And the choice that you made came upon humanity. And we were all born in sin because of your choice. What's a warring spirit? I didn't even know that that word was in the dictionary when the Lord spoke to me in the prayer meeting. 
Honestly, I didn't know there was a word warring. Look it up. It means a fighting spirit. Do you have a fighting spirit this morning? Or have you succumbed to sleepiness? Have you succumbed to drowsiness? Have you succumbed to this place? Well, this is who I am. So you're going to stay there? That's who you want to be? No growth? No maturity? No getting to the next season in your spiritual life? We have to fight. We're in a fight. You're in a fight for your soul. You're in a fight for your family. You're in a fight for your kids. But we sit at the table and we accept, oh, guess what? Guess what? What? We accept it. We don't fight against it. We don't speak against it. We accept it into our home and allow the evil spirits to come in and take over room after room and then take over our body, soul, and spirit. And we sit at the table drinking a cup of coffee and saying, well, what will be, will be. Not for me. Not for me. Because there's a different report. It's the report of the Lord, my friend. Come on, there's a different report, my friend. You can succumb to the lies of the enemy. You can succumb to the persecutions and the accusations of the enemy. And you can blame the entire world. And you can wear a fig leaf for the rest of your life. But you know what? If we're going to be a remnant people, hallelujah. If we're going to be a church, praise God, within a church. If we're going to come out and be overcomers. It's time that we must mature. It's time that we must shed, praise God, the things of the flesh. And say, God, I am ready, praise God, for renovation. I am ready, oh God, for you to come in and renew my spirit. Fresh oil. Not stale oil that stinks. Fresh oil. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So I fight, not as one that beateth the air. Let's look at this verse for a moment. Let's, Let's take our time this morning in the word of God. You know, I read about Spurgeon and Finney and these different preachers. People would come by the thousands, by the thousands, to hear a man of God so eager to hear and listen. And the preacher would speak, look it up, for two or three hours. And nobody left. We're in a hurry today. Because we have business. We have schedules. We, we can't stay in the house of God for more than a certain amount of time. I want to tell you something. The remnant is going to learn to stay in the house of God longer as the days approach concerning the coming of the Lord. It's not going to be, hey, I'm going to go to church and make it a religious habit, so I'm going to fulfill my hour or two before God and I'm going to feel good about it. No, you won't. You feel good when you dig in. You feel good when you start to name yourself that you are a remnant person, hallelujah, in a remnant church. The Bible says, therefore, at this time, at this present moment, what does Paul say? He says, so I run. And and the word run in Greek, it means to run in haste. It means to spend one's strength in performing or attaining something. You know what it means? You're a boxer in the ring because when you look at this word, look what Paul says. I therefore so run, run not as uncertainly. I don't run in obscurity. 
I, I don't run because I think my life is uncertain. But I know that my steps are ordered by the Lord. And I trust in the Lord with all my heart. Praise God. I don't lean to my own understanding. And all thy ways I will acknowledge him. Knowing this, that the steps of a good righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. I'm not living in obscurity. Paul says, I fight not as one is in obscurity. He says, I fight. And you know what the word fight in Greek means? It means to be a boxer. Look it up. It means a, to box. It means the fist as a weapon. It means a clenched hand. And when Paul said, I therefore so run, praise God, not as uncertainty, not as one that beateth the air, the word run means to haste. We've got to come out of the corner in the boxing ring. You ever see those boxes that come out? Man, they come out with passion. They come out with victory in their heart. They come out believing, I'm going to beat my opponent. They run to the middle of the ring and they're ready to put the gloves on and they're ready to fight. Why? Because they know that they know that they know they're the champ. That's right. That's what you got to do. What about us? We sit in a stool in the corner. We let the devil beat us on the head with a broomstick. We sit there. We accept it. And what you accept, you eventually... What would you put up with is eventually what you accept. And we sit in the corner. We stay there. And we have these mental arguments of why I have to stay in the corner. I have to stay in this rut because this is where I belong right now. God knows my heart. God knows everybody's heart. God knows everybody's heart. And you know what? The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it but God? Who are we fooling? Who are we fooling? Our children are looking at us. Our grandchildren are looking at us. We're supposed to be imitating Christ. But yet the enemy will accuse us and indict us through our children if we're not careful. <laughs> Think about that. We must come out of the corner of the ring. And we must mount an assault against the enemy of our soul. Against the kingdom of darkness. That creates havoc, confusion, and deadly destruction in our lives and in our homes. Ask yourself a question this morning. Is there confusion in your home? Is there havoc in your home? Is there deadly destruction in your home? And if there is, you need to come out of that corner, praise God, man and woman, boy and girl, and say, praise God, we're not accepting this in this home. And in the name of Jesus Christ, it's over. But you know what? A lot of people won't do that because they're so used to failure and they're so used to living a life of guilt and shame that they'll just stay in that condition. And they'll end up blaming a pastor, a church, somebody. It's your fault. No, it's not. God calls us all to be responsible and accountable for our behavior. That's right. Come on. That's the truth, friends. We're, li we're, living, we're living in a new age. We're, we're, we're living in a new season. We're living in a season where we see truth and lies. We're living in a season where we see light and darkness. Why, why, why can't that be the same in the church? Well, why can't we uncover the darkness to show the light? Why can't we uncover the lies to show the truth? Well, why should we continue to live in bondage?
Paul the Apostle said in 1 Timothy 6.12 to a young preacher, he said, fight the good fight of faith. We have to ask ourselves, am I? Lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight. Are you on the stool in the corner? Are you fighting? Do you know what you're fighting? You're not fighting flesh and blood. That's what people think. They're fighting flesh and blood. You're fighting spirits, powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And you know what? Most people don't know how to go to war against those enemy spirits. And that's why the enemy just destroys them. Destroys them. No joy. No life. No gleam in the eye. No step in their walk. Fading. Like a leaf blowing in the wind. Like a wave that comes and hits the shore and it's gone and it disappears. And sometimes they don't even see it. And sometimes if you point it out, people get mad at you. People have issue with you. Come on, pastor. I don't need this condemnation. I'm not. I'm trying to get people out of condemnation. I'm trying to get people out of guilt and shame. As a pastor, as an under-shepherd, through the name and power and blood of Jesus Christ. Because I know who the enemy is and all he wants to do is accuse you day and night. You got to get sick of him. You got to get sick of him. It's like a bad dream. It's like a bad meal. But it's continuous if we allow him. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What does it mean to fight? It means to enter a contest and this is a choice. I'm tired of fighting, Pastor. I'm tired of dealing with it. I'm tired of it. Okay, so let's go lay down and die. Let's call the coroner so we can have your funeral arranged. You can't get tired. You can't. There's no time to get tired. There's no, no time to go to sleep. There's no time to be busy so we can blot it out and make believe it doesn't appear, make believe it's not there. Let's just make believe. We're not Christian scientists. If your arm is broken, it's dangling. It's broken. We can't say, oh, my arm isn't broken when it's dangling like that. We're not Christian scientists. We're Christians. The truth scares people. The truth sets us free. But who wants truth? The remnant. Those that don't see themselves as failures. Those that have their life under the blood of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to fight? It means to contend with adversaries. If you think this is going to get easier, I don't know what book you're reading, my friend. I really don't. It means to contend and struggle with difficulties and dangers. That's where we are. To endeavor with strenuous zeal. To strive to obtain something. To labor fervently. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Or are we just saying, lay me down prayers? Praying? How are you praying? Praying? What does that mean when people write that? Praying? What does it mean? Does it mean, lay me down to sleep prayer at the end of the day? Okay, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my bread. Good night. See you tomorrow. 
Intercession is going to take place. It must take place. If we're going to pray, we need to intercede and cry before God and allow God to break us. Praying. I don't know what that means. I know if I'm in trouble, I really want people to pray for me. If I'm sick, I really want people to pray for me. I really do. I, I, I want people to come to a prayer meeting and really seek God and say, Lord, our pastor needs some help. The pastor needs a healing. Accused. The book of Zechariah, the Lord took me. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now this is Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah. I want to read to you. I want to show you that the enemy accused Joshua and the people of Jerusalem. But I want to show you the grace and mercy of God. And what I'm going to read to you is a picture of the modern day church. And it's actually a picture of our country. I want to show you the redemptive power and nature of God also. It's twofold. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 in the message version it says this. Next, the messenger. The messenger angel showed me the high priest Joshua. He was standing before God's angel where the accuser showed up to accuse him. That's what he does every day in our lives. Then God said to the accuser, I, God, rebuke you, accuser. You see, it's God that showed up in the life of Joshua that day. Okay? I rebuke you and choose Jerusalem. Surprise? Everything is going up in flames. But I reach in and pull out Jerusalem. Kind of like a picture of America right now. Everything going up in flames. Isn't it? It's amazing. Verse 3, Joshua, standing before the angel, was dressed in dirty clothes. The angel spoke to his attendants, get him out of those filthy clothes, and then said to Joshua, look, I've stripped you of your sin and dressed you in clean clothes. Go back to the prophecy that God gave him. He wants to heal you, not condemn you. He wants to deliver us. Not shame us or guilt us. Look what it says in verse 5. I spoke up and said, how about a clean new turban for his head also? And they did it. Put a clean new turban on his head. Then they finished dressing him with God's angel looking on. God's angel then charged Joshua. Orders from the God of the angel armies. If you live the way that I tell you and remain obedient in my service... Then you will make decisions around here and oversee my affairs. And all my attendants standing here will be at your service. You know what? That's for men. Hear me? Look at it closely. You're the head of your home. You're the high priest. You're the Joshua of your home. Do you know what's going on? Have you a clue? Do any of us know what's going on in our homes in America? What our children are watching? 
on phones, internet? Do we really know? Or have those electronic equipments become babysitters for our children to get them out of our life so we can relax? Listen, I'm going to read that again. What does he say? Orders from God. If you live the way I tell you and remain obedient in my service, then you'll make decisions around here and oversee my affairs. And all my attendants standing here will be at your service. You know what he's saying? If you do what I say and live the way you're supposed to, you'll be the man of your home and make the decisions that are necessary. And those people in your home will listen to you because you're living that kind of life. Wow. Wow. Zechariah preaching. He said, careful, high priest Joshua, both you and your friends sitting here with you, for your friends are in on this too. Here's what I'm doing next. I'm introducing my servant branch, Jesus. And note this, this stone that I'm placing before Joshua, a single stone with seven eyes, decree of God of the angel armies, I'll engrave these with these words. I'll strip this land of its filthy sin all at once in a single day. At that time, everyone will get along with one another with friendly visits across the fence, friendly visits on one another's porches. And I realize this is prophetic and this is concerning Jerusalem in the future. I realize that. I'm not dumb. But I also believe that it's apropos for today. And I believe it describes our families, our lives, and our nation. We keep quoting 2 Chronicles 7.14. We exhausted ad nauseum. If my people, if my people, who's God speaking to? The same people he spoke to in the book of Zechariah. If my people, that's us. It's time. Listen, this whole country can change the contour and its environment in the next three weeks. You don't need for me to go into that because you're smart. You know. You've heard enough about politics. You've read enough. You understand what's going on. It's the forces of evil against good. It's light against darkness. It's lies against truth. They lie through their feet, their their teeth. They're swift with their lies. They run with them. And then they laugh like the devil's laugh. (laughs) I just fooled you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because the common sense of the American person is still intact. They know you. Only those that are looking for a handout. Only those that are looking for Uncle Sam to take care of them. Are going to laugh with you. But once you use them, you'll ditch them. And you'll have no use for them. The Communist Party calls those people useless fools. That's what they call them. Useless fools. (laughs) Place yourself in God's care, my friend. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, you know, we read that verse and we think, well, that's a nice verse. What does it really mean? What was God saying to Joshua in the book of Zechariah? He was saying, submit to me. And what does the word submit mean? It's a voluntary attitude. Voluntary. We don't have to. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in. 
cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden? Only you can answer that question if you're doing that. It means to subordinate, to be under, to subject oneself. It means to submit to one's control. You know, we have such control issues, even as Christians. We want to sit in that room and control the world. We want to push buttons, make people behave the way we want them to behave. Because we know what's best. You know what I know is best? Father knows best. And you know who Father is? God Almighty. Hallelujah. And His book knows best. Father knows best all the time. But we want to control. Because if we can keep it together, and we can save face, and no secrets get out, we're good to go. And we fool them again. We fool them another week. Who did you fool? Who did I fool? Man, when we allow God to strip us, it's painful. Man, it's just ugly sometimes. You know what I'm saying? My wife and my daughter took me to this health place, trying to do more self-care. You know, sometimes you're a little skeptical of these things. You know, toxins in your body and junk that you eat and all kinds of chemicals in all of our foods. You can't get away from it. And I put myself in this uh, foot bath. And the lady who I knew, I used to work with her, said, it's going to turn different colors. And I said, whoa, what's, this? what's with that? And it's clear to begin with. It's clear water. And all of a sudden, colors started changing. Black, orange. I said, whoa, what, what's all that? That's toxins going back to your body. I said, you got to be kidding me. How does this do? How, how does this work? I'm like intrigued here. Pulling that junk out. Pulling that garbage out. Pulling those metals and those chemicals that make us tired and angry and just, ooh. Beside ourselves. That's what God wants to do. He wants to pull out those spiritual toxins. Those things that other people see, but you don't want to see. And when they point it out to you, you get mad. I don't like you. I don't like you, Pastor T, preaching this. Take it up with God. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to. Because you know what? I, I heard this sermon before I preached it. It's not just for you. It's for me. It's, it's for me. I, I, I get it first. What does it mean? It means to yield to one's admonition or advice. How many people do that? How many people yield to God's control and advice? How many people actually go to God for advice? Who, who, who does that anymore? Who really prays about decision making? Who really prays about their family? Who, who really prays about their kids? Who really prays about direction? Who really prays? We just live life. We go to work. Happy we have a job. Happy we get a paycheck every two weeks. Happy we put money in a savings account. What does it all mean? It doesn't mean anything. Because as soon as you lose your health, all that is just 
minuscule. All that means nothing. All it means is those that come after you will fight what you have. That's all it means. Human nature. Selfish. Greedy. Big hand. Gonna take. That's all it means. What really means something today is getting close to God. Coming into his presence. Taking your place. Take your seat in God's kingdom. You have been assigned a place that's been determined by God. You have been appointed. And as long as we come under his admonition, his counsel, and his advice, we will be more than conquerors and overcomers, praise God, to war against the enemy of our soul. You will fail. You will fail if you don't come under God's control. You can fool yourself, my friend. You can make it look good. You can smooth it over. You can throw paint on the wall and hope that the Mona Lisa is going to appear. It's not going to appear. It's a lie. You're living a lie. We live lies. And we make agreements with those lies and we say those lies. That's what the, that's what the national news does. It creates a lie. And all across America on every news station, you've seen it, done. They all say the same thing. It's the same line. It's the same lie. And if you listen to that lie long enough, if you're dumb enough to listen to those lies, you're going to start to believe those lies and get in agreement with them. And that's what people do. They believe their own lies. They come in agreement with them. And when you come against those lies in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power and blood of Christ, they get mad at you. Who are you? I'm nobody. Trust me. I'm nobody. I'm privileged to know Christ this morning. At my age, I'm privileged when I put my feet on the ground and I'm able to stand up and walk to the restroom and take a shower. That's how privileged I am. I'm nobody. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know where I came from. I didn't call myself to this position to preach or teach the word of God. But I find myself in it. But I find myself with a burden, ladies and gentlemen. I find myself going to bed with people's names on my mind and lives on my mind. In my own bedroom, in my own bed. Thinking, Lord, how can I help? What can I do? What can I preach? What can I teach? How can I get to the heart? How can I instill passion in a young person? It's no joke. It's a burden. It's the care of the church. It's easy to be a church member. It's easy to just sit in the pew, do a few things around the church and say, okay, I'm good. See you next week. It's not that way. When you're burdened with the souls of people that you have to give an account for. I have to give an account for souls that are under my tutelage. That's heavy. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Now, accordingly. Because consequences that are good will follow if we do that. To God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? Resist. Resist. We, we keep letting the devil hit us on the head with a broomstick. Indict us in a court of law. Prosecute us. Get a grand jury against us. What does the word resist mean? It means to set oneself against, to withstand to oppose for the cause of God, to make firm your stand. 
not wishy-washy. To be fixed in establishing your position. To cause a person to keep his place. I shall not be moved from the word of God. No vacillation. No hesitation. No procrastination. I know what I believe. Even when the darkest moment of my life occurs, I still trust. And I still believe. The word resist means to stand ready and prepared and immovable like a foundation of a building. So many people, the least little wind blows them out. Gone. Gone. Least little wind. God says be immovable, immovable like a foundation of a building. What is he saying? To be of steadfast mind, one who does not waver or hesitate. To uphold or sustain the authority of Christ. Not wishy-washy people. But men and women of authority speak it. And when you speak, they'll say, wow. The oracles of God speaking. Well, I don't know. What should I do? Listen, if you read this book, you know what to do. There's no hesitation. Don't be like the quarterback that looks around for three hours. Get in the pocket. Step up. Throw the pass. Make a decision. Not to make a decision is to make a decision. That's where men fail in their homes. They become passive. Women become angry. And the syndrome of an angry woman and a passive male. And the passive male says, go ahead, go run the house. No! No! Shame on us. God placed Adam in the garden. He told Adam to tend the garden. He told Adam the rules and regulations. It's your responsibility and my responsibility for my home and your home. Wear the pants. Because if you don't, if you don't, the consequences will be dire in the days to come. Listen to what I'm saying. I've been in this business for a long time. And I have spoke prophetically to a lot of people. And I can see when people resist and want to be in control and want to manage their own life and want to live a lie. I see it prophetically. Because scripturally, you will fail. I will fail. What's God saying? Resist the devil, the slanderer, the accuser, the one who comes with his minions and his demons to oppress us, to accuse us. And what does God say? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And what will he do? He will flee from you. Don't you want him out of your house? Don't you want him out of your life? Don't, don't you want him out of your head? He's renting condominiums in Christians' heads. He's renting whole cities in Christians' heads. And we're supposed to be free to tell the world, come to Jesus, he's got a plan for your life. And they look at our lives and they say, what's the plan? That's the plan? Because if that's the plan, I don't, need, I don't want that kind of marriage. I don't want that kind of home. 
Your kids are more unruly than my kids. I'm not even a Christian. I don't even go to church. My kids behave better than your kids. Well, why, why would I want what you have? You have no control. You think you do. Because you've lied so long. You've come so comfortable with those lies. You've agreed with them. And you think, I'm good to go. Look who I am. Look who I am. This is who I am. No, it's not who you are. God knows who you are. God knows who I am. And I can fabricate. I can lie. I can do this and I can do that. Listen. I see people put pictures up on the internet. You know they've been worked over. It's not like they look when they first wake up in the morning. Enough to scare you. Enough to make you go, ah! All done up. Is that who they really are? Is that who they're really trying to portray? What's in here? Hurt, pain, suffering, accusation. Walking and falling into a rut in a ditch. Listen, you can make over all you want. You can do all that. It doesn't change what's inside. This is what God's concerned about. It's concerned about the inside, the self-care, spiritual self-care inside. What's God saying? Here's what I believe he's saying. It's time that the church sees the back of the enemy running from us. Him, the enemy, seeking safety for himself and his demonic forces. It's time the church put the enemy in the position to shun us and avoid us knowing he'll lose the battle. Listen, we might not be famous in the world. We might not be rich. But you know where you need to be famous? It's in the spirit world. Because when you start to utter your prayers and you begin to pray, the enemy says, uh-oh, uh-oh, Oh, <laughs> them people, yeah, them people, them holy rollers, them Pentecostals, them crazy people, yeah, them people, oh, don't go near them. Let's go pick on the weak. Let's pick on those we abuse every day. We shame, put guilt on, condemnation. Let's go pick on them. Because they're easy picking. It's like fruit off of a tree. But these others, you see, that's why if you're an intercessor and you really get down before God and you seek God, the hordes of hell come against you. Because they want to take you out. But I believe even they get tired. The Bible says that they, 40 days and 40 nights, they plagued Jesus. And then they left for a season as if we need a retreat. This guy doesn't give in. We can't take him down. The Bible says, read it for yourself. They left for a season. Satan left for a season. What does that mean? I got to get out of here. I, I got I to go on vacation for a few days. This Jesus is driving me crazy. I believe it's the same for us, my friends. I believe when we really seek God and come before the Lord in his presence and his glory, the enemy says, I can't contend with these people. Amen. I need a break. They believe the report. Amen. 
They believe the report. How can we crack them? We can't crack their spiritual safe. We can't get in their hearts. No, you won't. Because we're fighters. Listen, Peter said this. He said, Home resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. What's Peter saying? What does it mean to resist? I just told you what it means to resist. What, what's, what's Peter saying here? He's saying, keep up your guard. 1 Peter 5.9, message version. You're not the only one plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. Some people think, oh, it's the end of the world for me. No one else is going through this but me. Has anybody in your family been martyred? Have your children been taken away from you and incarcerated somewhere while you're being tortured and maimed and killed? That's happening in foreign countries. That could happen here. Peter was warning the church. You think you're the only ones that are going through trials and tribulations? You think you're the only ones? Keep up your guard. Don't let down. Don't let go. Hold on. The man of God was trying to encourage them not to give up. And I'm trying to do the same. It's no time to give up. It's no time to fold our tents. But it's time to keep your guard. So I come to this conclusion. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation, listen very carefully, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You know when there's no condemnation? You know what the word condemnation means? It means a damnatory sentence. You know when there's no condemnation? When there's no willful sin. If you're living with condemnation because of sin, that's on you. Not on me. Not on the church. There's two kinds of abuse that I talked about today. The abuse that you know you're forgiven, you're not in sin, willful sin. But the abuse is the enemy is trying to bring up your past and throw it in your face. He doesn't play fair. The other abuse is when we are in sin, we are condemned. That's a fact. You give him legal right to your life. You give him legal right to your life to come in and mess with you. There's only one way out. There's an advocate with the Father. It doesn't mean we have to stay there. This is what God was trying to tell Joshua in the book of Zechariah. He was trying to say, I'll pull Jerusalem out. I'll take your dirty clothes and give you a white robe of righteousness, Joshua. Tell the people. I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of grace. I'm not a taskmaster. I'm not a hateful person. I love people. How do we know that? Romans 8.1, message. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Are you living under a black cloud? A lot of Christians are. I've met them. I've spoken to them. I've counseled with some of them. (laughs) 
A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Man, why do I want to be under a tyrannical dictator called the devil? Why? Tell me. Why do we want to be under a tyranny when we can get out of it so quickly, even if we mess up? God's not willing to send anyone to hell. What does it say in Romans 4, 7? Blessed are, they, are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's what God wants to do. God doesn't want us to wallow in our mire like a pig. We're all on our own mess. He died for us. He died for us to give us freedom, forgiveness. He says in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace this morning? If you don't have peace, you will allow the enemy to abuse you with guilt and shame. That's the way you want to live. That's your choice. I choose to come out of the corner when he starts to remind me of my past. I start to come out of the corner with haste. I'm not staying there. Nice try. Nice try, enemy. But you failed. You failed. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Listen. But he that believeth not is already condemned. God didn't come in this world to condemn. But those that believe not are already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There are some people that just want to stay in darkness and they don't want out because it's become so comfortable and such a false, secure position to make themselves believe this is who I am, just accept me. No. No. Because sin, sin brings damnation. No. I don't want to accept that. I'm going to pray against that. Even if you don't want to at this moment. And trust me, there's a lot of prayers that go up by people here in the church that meet in the presence of God Almighty. Praying for our families. Praying for our marriages. Praying for our children. Praying against rebellion and stubbornness. Which is witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It's like dabbling in the evil spirits. We put up with it. Instead of taking a stand and saying, not here. Nice try. I close with this. This is who God says you are. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the question this morning is, who are you? Who are we? Are we the new creature? Are we the remnant? Are we the people of God that come out of the corner fighting for our soul and for the souls of our family and our posterity? Are we just happy with the life that we have? Post a few things on the internet. I think we've accomplished a whole lot. Airbrush a picture here or two. Hey, look what I've done. That's not life. And if the wrong person gets elected, all of that's going to go away anyway. Oh, yeah. We'll lose all that. Well, They've already started to censor. But you know what's not going to go away? The Word of God. Amen. The Word of God. It's not going to go away, my friend. Listen, I don't know about you. And I'll close with this. My comfort comes in a few different realms. The word of God, prayer, and fellowship among people where iron sharpens iron. Not funky Christianity. Not surface Christianity. Not small talk Christianity. Not trying to pull some words out of a person's spirit. Like, wow, this is really hard. This is really hard. This, this is not relationship. This is not friendship. This is like, what are we talking about here? What are we really talking about? Let's talk about the word of God. Let's talk about scripture. Let's talk about prayer. Let's meet at the altar and pray for our families that the darkness doesn't settle in like a cloud so thick it never disappears. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to heal an abused church. I know it sounds crazy, but there's so many people that come to the house of God feeling like failures, no voice, sitting on a stool in a corner, believing a lie that there are nobody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you as your pastor, you are somebody. And we're somebody's in Christ. Because he came out of the corner. He came out of heaven. And he came in the form of flesh, hallelujah, to live and die on a cross that I might have life, that I can praise God, fight against the powers of evil, not just for myself, for my wife and my family, but for you and for your kids and our posterity in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we, we thank you. I thank you for the word. I thank you for the word. And you know what? I, I've heard it said sometimes, that people will never listen to a sermon that's an hour. They'll, they'll never view a sermon that's an hour. You know who will listen to it, Lord? A remnant believer who's hungry for your word, who's hungry for your scripture, who's hungry for truth. That's the ones that will listen fully 
Those are the ones that will view the sermons. Those are the ones that will take their notes and say, wow, God is really speaking to my heart. Father, I pray that light would come upon those, Lord Jesus, that view or listen. I pray, God, that they would come out of a cloud that they might be in. That if they're being abused concerning their past, that, God, you will swallow up that condemnation and accusation. And, Lord, if they're in sin, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. God, there's a way out even through sin. We can get out so quickly and easily through the blood and power of Jesus Christ. I pray you bless those that listen and bless those that observe. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you.